I first started showing signs of OCD when I was 13. I went through a period of obsessive hand washing. I didn't know why I was doing it. None of us were familiar with OCD. I guess for my younger self, what would have been helpful is you can handle this on your own, but you don't have to. Welcome to Hope Starts With Us, a podcast by NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm Barb Solish, NAMI's National Director of Innovation, and today I'm serving as your guest host for an episode about obsessive compulsive disorder following OCD Awareness Week. We started this podcast because we believe that hope starts with us. Hope starts with us talking about mental health. Hope starts with us making information accessible. Hope starts with us providing resources and practical advice. Hope starts with us sharing our stories. Hope starts with us breaking the stigma. If you or a loved one is struggling with a mental health condition and have been looking for hope, we made this podcast for you. Hope starts with all of us. Hope is a collective. We hope that each episode with each conversation brings you into that collective to know you are not alone. Today, I'm joined by Liz Norton, who is not only NAMI's Director of Business Analysis, but also a NAMI program leader and trainer. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Barb. We're going to be talking about a lot, um, but before we dive in, can you start by telling our audience a little bit about your journey and how you got involved with NAMI? Sure. So I first got involved with NAMI over a decade ago. Many members of my family deal with mental health conditions, and we were experiencing an issue where, as a family, we kind of looked at each other and said, what we're doing to manage this isn't working. We need more help. And somebody had mentioned NAMI to my mom. So we got into a family-to-family class, and I didn't know it then, but like that kind of changed where it was going because we were in a room with people that understood. I didn't have to explain the secret language of mental health or, you know, say that even though I loved my family member, like I was so mad at them and, you know, without being afraid of people being like, why are you so mad about mad at someone who's ill? And you're like, because both can exist. Uh, So that's, that's how I found out about NAMI. Then I was just happened to be looking to transition jobs slightly later And NAMI had a position open for the skills that I had, and I took a chance and applied. So I've been working at NAMI ever since, and working at NAMI then gave me the time to take some time off and go get trained as first a family-to-family leader. I've added many more programs onto that list since then. One of the best things about working at NAMI was was having that time to be able to give back to others, to help make others' journey easier, but also being somewhere where you can be open about your mental health condition, if you choose, like nobody, nobody's forced to disclose. But it's definitely a lot easier when you can openly say to your coworkers, hey, I'm having a bad brain day, I need to take a mental health day, I'll see y'all tomorrow, all they do is tell you to get better and take care. So that's what brought me to NAMI and kind of what keeps me here. And I am so glad you are here. Um, you're an excellent and amazing colleague and um you know, contributor to NAMI broadly. So, so appreciative for that. So today we're talking about OCD. So for those listeners who might not know, OCD is characterized by compulsions, which are repetitive actions taken to ease distress caused by obsessions. And those obsessions are recurring unwanted thoughts, ideas, fears, sensations, These obsessions and compulsions can take up a lot of a person's time and interfere with daily functioning. 
So Liz, can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences with these types of obsessions and compulsions and sort of what did that look like for you? Sure. So I first started showing signs of OCD when I was 13. Um, I went through a period of obsessive hand washing. I washed my hands all the time. They were pretty unpleasant. They got dry and they cracked and they bled. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but I wasn't in control of doing it. There was something telling me I had to wash and wash and wash and wash. And it wasn't until my mom was like, this isn't right. If this keeps up, we're going to go to the doctor. And of course, I was ashamed and embarrassed of this. So like, I don't want to go to the doctor. So somehow that kind of wrapped. And my best explanation was it was a baby symptom. It was building up to other things. In high school, I had checking rituals, which can be a common symptom of OCD, where I had to at night make sure all the doors and windows were locked because otherwise somebody would break in and harm my family. I make sure that everything was plugged in properly because otherwise our house would burn down. And it didn't matter how many times I had checked those. I'd get to bed and be like, did I actually check? And I'd go check and be like, wait, am I just thinking I did this or I did this? And I'd have to do it over and over until you know my brain was finally like, okay, yeah, we're, we're good. And it was exhausting. And uh when I really got sick was in college and in about a three month period, I went from being fine to being, you know, having very symptomatic with OCD. And my main symptoms uh, were later around the type of OCD I have, which is German contamination phobia. So being afraid of things that are going to make me sick or chemicals that are going to make me sick. And so that was a lot of hand washing, a lot of washing clothes. I mean, I was a junior in college and I was doing four loads of laundry a week. Like that should have been, <laughs> that's, that's not usually how that works. You know, the compulsion, though hand washing was a compulsion because the obsession was telling me there was something wrong with me. And if I didn't get the germs off or the chemicals off, what I was going, the answer was I was going to get sick and die. Sometimes it was like a direct flight. Sometimes there were some stops along the way, but I was going to get sick and die. And so I had to do the washing and avoiding of things because otherwise that was, that was the only way I could get my brain to let this thought go. That makes a lot of sense and sort of clarifies you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. I mean, there is an obsession and it causes this compulsion. Um, and that sounds really challenging and really difficult. So I really appreciate you sharing, Liz. And I want to talk a little bit about stigma. You know, you mentioned, I don't want to go to the doctor. And, um, and that really stigma can affect how someone gets the help that they need. So I, I can speak from my experience. I actually faced quite a bit of internal stigma, kind of what you're talking about mm -hmm. too. So I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety in college, which to me, and I don't know about you, but it sort of felt, you know, in quotes, okay to have, mm -hmm. um, right? It's a little bit more accepted. But later in my 20s, I started experiencing hypomania, um, which led me to get a new diagnosis of bipolar disorder type 2. And for some reason, that just felt a lot scarier to me. So even though I was open about depression and anxiety, I was afraid people would think I was uh, you know, crazy uh, because now I had what I had viewed as something more serious. Um, so that really leads me to my point that I think there's still a lot of stigma around mental health conditions that just aren't talked about as much or are talked about in a really negative way, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or OCD and others. Um, and unfortunately, that really can get in the way of someone 
seeking and getting the help that they they need and deserve. Um, so my question for you is when did you first realize you needed help with what you were experiencing and wanted to accept that help? So what was it like to experience that diagnosis of OCD? And and on top of that, sharing that diagnosis with other people. It's interesting that you mentioned stigma because I have a really strong support network and family and many members of my family have mental health conditions. Many of my friends in high school and college had mental health conditions. So I wasn't ever worried about them knowing, but it reminds me of one of the reasons I was so embarrassed when I first started showing signs when I was 13 was I was in health class in eighth grade and my teacher, who was a very nice woman and I liked, but, you know, made some off the cuff comments, you know, she's like, you know, like those crazy people that wash their hands all the time. And that was what, you know, like 30 years ago, almost. And it, like that still really sticks with me. So like, yeah, stigma was probably a big reason that I was like, I didn't want to be a crazy person. So I didn't want there to be something wrong. Speaking more about when I first realized I needed help, was my junior year of college when I truly like before I had symptoms and I would say they affected my life, but I didn't realize I had was sick and nobody around me realized we were sick. None of us were familiar with OCD. I didn't realize that the things I were doing were patterns of behavior of this illness. But in college, it became unavoidable because I was 20 and the average age of onset for women for OCD is 19.2 years. My brain was just like, all right, we're ready. Here you go. And the compulsions taking up more and more time in my life and taking up more and more energy thinking about obsessive thoughts that left me with less and less time to do other things. My roommate, bless her, was there for me from the beginning was like, Liz, we need to go to counseling center. Liz, would you like to go to the counseling center today? How about we go to the counseling center? And I was, no, no, I'm fine. I'm handling it. I was handling it. I wasn't fine. And it wasn't until we had gotten to my exams and I literally could not sit still to focus. I was so anxious. I couldn't sit still to study for any of my exams. I'm not a super studier. I wasn't a super student. Like I was, I was average. I was decent, but not studying at all was for whatever reason, that was the thing that was like, I need help. And so we walked to the counseling center and a very nice lady who would be my therapist in college was like, I can't diagnose you, but it sounds like you have OCD. And we deferred my exams and, and I went home and I went, you know, to my brother, my family member already had a, a psychiatrist. So we sent me in and that was kind of the big turning point, which was great because my family was there to help me and pick me up when I got home and take me to the psychiatrist, which I feel very lucky for because I know many people don't have that luxury in their lives. So I think that made a big impact on starting things off on the right foot. It sounds like you had a really supportive community around you, both your family, your roommate, finding this therapist. Um, and so what was it like to tell or share with other people outside of what you you know felt as like that supportive circle? It was hard and not because of any of my friends or, or anyone else. Um, I felt a great deal of embarrassment and shame because one of the things about OCD, at least the way I experience it, is irrational fear of things, but you know it's not real. Mm -hmm. Like I might drop a pen on the bathroom floor and my brain's like, 
you know what? There's germs in the bathroom. The germs are on those pen. You're going to pick up that pen and use it. You're going to touch your face. You're going to get germs and you're going to die. And, you know, OCD brain is like, we got to panic. We got to panic. And my logical brain is like, it is fine. Pick it up, wipe it off, continue on with your day. And so it was really frustrating being at that point that terrified of things that I knew weren't terrifying. Like that made like, it was really irritating, Barb. Really irritating. Sounds more than irritating. Sounds sounds scary. Sounds yeah. Very hard. You know, I disclosed to some people. I didn't disclose to everyone. I surprised some of my friends when I did disclose because I had been doing what many of us do when we are faced with a mental health condition is like, I need to seem fine. I need to seem like I'm okay. And I apparently had done a pretty good job of that because, you know, several of my friends in my classes where I didn't show up for the exam were like, what happened to you? And I was like, I have this. And they're like, we had no idea. But how did you have no idea? Like I was a disaster, but apparently I put on a good front. So by and large, I haven't experience people thinking less than of me because of me. but I also haven't disclosed in every situation because I haven't felt safe. I only did it at my last job because I reached a point where I was having, I guess, a nervous breakdown for want of a better term. Like I, I needed, I ended up having to take some unpaid leave and my immediately coworkers I knew would be cool with it, but I didn't trust senior management to understand and not quote punish me for being able to do less because my brain was ill. Right, right. Just like a physical illness. It is so important for workplaces to create that culture of caring. And it really comes from leadership because you can be close with your colleagues potentially, but if you're fearful, I totally identify with that. And, um, and you know, NAMI obviously is working hard to to change that kind of culture and to support organizations and and companies to to increase that um, awareness and education and support for for their employees. So I'm glad you're in a place where we are supporting you now. So that's good. Um, I wanted to go back a bit to your comment about that teacher saying. Mm-hmm. I, you know, washing hands like a crazy person. And I think it's really important that we talk a little bit about that kind of language because the language that we use really matters. I mean, it has affected you for many, many years and it goes a long way in increasing or decreasing stigma around mental health conditions like OCD. Um, I think we've all heard people say things like, I'm so OCD about keeping my apartment clean or keeping something organized or, or whatever you, you know, whatever it is. So can you tell me what misconceptions you do feel like people have with this condition? And is there anything you wish people understood better about OCD? Yeah. Um, it's, I'm so OCD. Like that's, that's one of the phrases where, uh, that really irritates me, uh, frankly. And I know for most part, it's not ill-intentioned. It's language that's become embedded. Like I'm so bipolar when people are like, I have two ideas or that's so schizophrenic when you have two different ideas about it. And it's like, it's frustrating because it devalues and de-emphasizes how much that this is a mental health condition. Like this is an illness. This is something that 
I deal with every day of my life. Some days, fine, great, no problem. Some days are really hard, but me, I would be so happy if it was just about keeping my room clean. And then I didn't have to obsess about it and be anxious about it and then be frustrated in myself by being obsessed and anxious because I know I don't need to do those things and doing compulsions. Obsessive compulsive disorder can take up so much time and really impact your life. So I wish there was different phrasing about like, I like to be neat and tidy. Great. Or it really helps calm my mind to keep my apartment clean. Also great. But OCD is, as you mentioned earlier, like depression, anxiety, those are okay to talk about, right? Right. And with a much lesser population, percentage of the population having OCD, I think perhaps encountering people with OCD just may not happen as frequently. And so I think most of the time it's not meant to be harmful. It's not meant to be mean. It's just a lack of understanding that, you know, I don't know, uh, you wouldn't say something like, oh, I wish my leg was broken so I didn't have to clean my room. Like, right. You know, oh, right. Because breaking your leg really hurts. Well, sometimes having OCD really hurts just in a different way. Of course. Um, You know, and so I guess I wish that people understood, like, it's a serious mental health condition and it is treatable. You can get better. It takes time and work and and effort to do so. And so just respecting that, just like having, you know, healing from a broken bone or overcoming cancer, it's something that this person, someone in your life has been dealing with and, and just extending them some grace and kindness as they do so. That is so, so important to remember, really thoughtful points about, um, you know, understanding and leading with empathy. And even though it may not be affecting a lot, a lot of people, it's still affecting people um, indirectly. Uh, so, so thank you for that. So Liz, what would you say to someone who thinks they might be experiencing um, obsessive compulsive disorder, but they're, you know, a little afraid to reach out for help? So For example, are there any words you would have given to your younger self who was nervous about about going to the counseling center? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, You don't have to deal with this on your own. You're not alone. There are many people out there that want to, to help you and support you, including NAMI, that even if you can, I guess for my younger self, what would have been helpful is you can handle this on your own, but you don't have to. And I think that if I had heard it framed in that way, or if it had occurred to me to think of it in that way, then it wouldn't feel like I had some internal voice telling me, you can do this, you can handle this, you you can manage this on your own, everybody else manages your life, you can manage your life. And so knowing that like, I can, and I can still get help, you're doing what you need to do, and you can get help, get people on board to help make that journey and that transition easier. Some of the programs that I'm really thankful to be involved with now, uh, for example, is NAMI Peer-to-Peer, which is people with mental health conditions uh, learning about and learning how to live successfully with mental health conditions from each other. Um, and you can find that program and, and many others on our website at nami.org slash help. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that you won't always feel this way. I remember right after I was first diagnosed and talking with my therapist who said, you're going to be dealing with this for the rest of your life. And my reaction was, no, thank you. Where can I go to give this back? I don't want it. Because at that point, I had was just barely in treatment and I was still feeling 
every day was still very, very difficult. It was, I was not well. And I just thought, how am I going to survive the rest of my life feeling like this every day? And the answer is, I don't feel like that every day. I have lots of good days. I have lots of okay days. I have some hard days, but knowing that, you know, on the hard days, like, okay, today's a hard one. We're going to do what we need to do to get through it. And tomorrow will be a different day. And so just knowing that there's an ebb and a flow and that things get better. Things don't get perfect, but things do get better. Thank you. So I think we can all agree that the world can be a difficult place and sometimes it can be hard to hold on to hope. That's why each week we dedicate the last couple minutes of our podcast to a special section called Hold On to Hope. Liz, can you tell us what helps you hold on to hope? For me, one of the things is resetting in nature. There's there's so much going on in the world, particularly last three years when we were experiencing, you know, the very beginning of the pandemic and just being able to go out and slow down for a minute and breathe and remember that there were things in the world that weren't on fire. That is a thing that's helpful for me. As mentioned previously, uh, having a good support network, whether that's friends, family, chosen family, your, your Dungeons and Dragon community, whomever you connect with, having somebody where you can air what you're thinking about and, and, and share that in return, I think that helps. Or even just say like, yeah, we're, we're both feeling this together and knowing that you're not alone like that, that's very helpful. And a quote from R.E.M., of, of hold on when you feel like you're letting go. As a person, everyone out of us out here has value and matters in this world, right? Today's rough, but tomorrow is another day. It may still be rough, but it may not. And it's worth sticking around to see what's going on. That's beautifully said, Liz, beautifully said. And I so appreciate you for your time today for sharing your experiences and all that you do for NAMI and for the people that we serve. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Barb. I was really uh, pleased to be able to share my experiences with, with NAMI and with OCD. And because hopefully somebody out there listening will say, oh, okay, I know where to go from here. I have some ideas. I can see the path forward. This has been Hope Starts With Us, a podcast by NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If you are looking for mental health resources, you are not alone. To connect with our helpline to find local resources, visit nami.org slash help, text helpline to 6264 or dial 1-800-950-NAMI-6264. To access our free support groups, please visit nami.org slash support groups. Or if you're experiencing an immediate suicide substance use or mental health crisis, please call or text 988 to speak with a trained support specialist or visit 988lifeline.org. Thank you for listening and be well.